0: Joins us uh, from home in Pennsylvania. I'm Dave Briggs, home of Connecticut. I ask you, Ross Tucker, what would you call a quarterback who is on the cover of Sports Illustrated, gets GQ spreads, is a darling of ESPN, NFL Network, and every other sports commodity in our industry and has these numbers? Three touchdowns, five interceptions, a QBR of 70, and a record of one and two. What would you call that guy?
2: overrated, overhyped, uh, disappointing, all of those things. And what's amazing about it, Dave, is it hasn't changed the way he goes about his business at all. And you're talking about Baker Mayfield. and what's crazy to me about Baker and we'll ask Steve Palazzolo about what he's seeing from Baker on the tape. but this week again, you know, Rex Ryan comes out and says that he feels like Baker Mayfield is a one-read quarterback, and guess what? Based on how he's played so far this year, he is. He's got more time in the pocket than he is taking advantage of. He's looking, making one read, and then he's been escaping a lot You know, before he needs to. There's no question. So Rex Ryan points that out, and Baker Mayfield says – Uh, all I care about is the people that are wearing orange and brown. That's fine. That's what he should say. But then he has to put the dig in there. He has to say there's a reason why Rex Ryan's not wearing any colors these days. Yeah, Baker. The reason is because he doesn't want to. Yes, he was fired by the Bills a couple years ago. We all know that. That's ancient history at this point. He could have had any number of defensive coordinator jobs He doesn't want him. He made a bunch of money with the Jets and the Bills. He's making a bunch of money from ESPN now, working a lot less hours than he would if he was a defensive coordinator. It's literally his job to be an analyst and say what he thinks, say what he sees. And what he sees is the truth, which is that it looks like you're making one read and then escaping the pocket right now. I just don't know how you benefit if you're Baker Mayfield from taking that shot at Rex Ryan especially when once again it's nonsensical. And I know he, you know, people love it. Browns fans, ah yeah, Baker. It doesn't seem like it's working. He's not playing real well. Maybe there's a reason why no other quarterbacks in the NFL act that way. I I just I'm surprised he can't be above that. I'm surprised he can't rise above. And frankly, most of the stuff he said that the Daniel Jones comment, the Duke Johnson comment, most of it he's wrong on. You know, mo- most of it, it doesn't make sense. It's not logical. So, oh, I took a shot at Rex Ryan. Rex Ryan got fired a couple years ago. So so what? Rex Ryan is doing a better job at his job right now than Baker Mayfield is at his?
0: Well, I, for one, have never minded the, the smack talk, the honesty, the uh, brash, bravado behavior of the Browns. They're weighing on me. They're wearing me out. Let's listen to exactly what Baker Mayfield said in response to Rex Ryan saying he is overrated as hell. It's whatever. I mean, in the, in the wise words of Freddie Kitchens, if you don't wear orange and brown, you don't matter. And Rex Ryan doesn't have any colors right
1: now for a reason, so it's okay.
0: I, again, don't mind the brash behavior. Don't mind the sound bites, but a little self-reflection there probably would be helpful. He's played like crap. He's looked uncomfortable. He's completing, what is it, 57% of his passes, three touchdowns, five picks. They're one and two. It's time to look in the mirror a little bit. Keep talking, that's fine. But have a little reflection. Be able to look in the mirror, Ross, and say, I'm not playing the way I expect myself to play. We had some lofty expectations going into the season, and we have let down our fans, and we have let down those that had these expectations for us. Rex Ryan, he's doing his job. His job is to be opinionated and to stir it up. And like you said, he's effective at that right now. I'm not
2: surprised by this at all. I think I told you I saw this coming and that the Browns could have early season struggles. And if they did, they could fall apart. I'm not there yet, but... If they go to Baltimore and they can't beat the Ravens, and I don't think they're going to, then they're one and three. Then they're a couple games behind the Ravens and a head-to-head loss. We'll see how they're still talking then because they talked a big game all offseason. Heck, Baker Mayfield still is. Why he feels the need to take a shot at Rex Ryan, I mean, it just, to me, it just feels, it just feels like cheap. You know what I mean? It just feels—it's almost like my wife. every once in a while, I, I'll like—I'll uh, fire back at a Twitter troll. You know, I'll reply to somebody that makes a comment on one of my pay, one of my one of my posts on Twitter, and my and my wife says, "Why do you even do that? Like, that's what they want. Why even give them that recognition? Why even acknowledge them?" Just be above them. Post what you post. There's a million idiots they are going to post whatever they post. Just don't even worry about it. Don't even give them the time of day. And you know what? She's right. And that's how Baker Mayfield should be about the people taking shots at them right now, like Rex Ryan. Rather than firing back with your mouth, Baker, how about firing back with your performance against the Ravens on Sunday?
0: I say both. Um, I Again, I've said from the very beginning I don't mind – their attitude. I would just like him to go out and play like it because the last thing I want is 32 Tom Bradys and I am a Tom Brady fan. Um the greatest of all time. I will watch him any given day, Thursday, Sunday, Monday, but the last thing we want is 32 Tom Bradys saying a lot of nothing. So I will take the Baker Mayfield provided he goes out there and backs it up against Baltimore. If they don't, it might get ugly fast cuz then they go to San you know what Francisco. I'll take? Yeah. Yep, they're home for Seattle and then at New England. So it could be over by the middle of the season. Last word? Guess guess what?
2: Your business is over if you don't hire the right people. That's my point, Baker Mayfield, Freddie Kitchens. I know hiring's a challenge, but if you don't hire the right people, like I'm not sure the Browns did a head coach, it's over. Maybe Jimmy Haslam and John Dorsey should do the same thing Codable co-founder Gretchen Hebner discovered. They should should realize they need a game artist. Probably don't need a game artist. But they needed somebody. They needed a better head coach for her education tech company. She knew it wouldn't be easy to find someone to grow with her team. That's why she went to ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you. It finds them for you. Its technology identifies people with the right experience. And invites them to apply to your job. So you get qualified candidates fast. Gretchen posted her job on ZipRecruiter and said she was impressed with how quickly she found qualified applicants. She also used ZipRecruiter screening questions to filter her candidates so she could focus on the best ones. That's how Gretchen found a new game artist in less than two weeks. With results like that, it's no wonder four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. See why ZipRecruiter is effective for businesses of all sizes. Try ZipRecruiter for free at our web address. ZipRecruiter.com enter. That's ZipRecruiter.com E-N-T-E-R. ZipRecruiter.com slash enter. ZipRecruiter is the smartest way to hire.
0: Hiring can be a challenge. So too can grading NFL quarterbacks. Nobody does it better than the folks at Pro Football Focus. The aforementioned Baker Mayfield is 13th in their latest PFF QB grades. That is one spot ahead of Lamar Jackson. You might find that notable ahead of guys like Matt Ryan and Jared Goff as well. Let's bring in our friend Steve Palazzolo from PFF. To tell us a little bit about these PFF grades, Steve, how you doing? People were really blown away at these grades. And we'll talk about Patrick Mahomes and where he falls in a minute. But first, give us a sense of how you grade quarterbacks and how the system works.
3: Yeah, so first off, it's all small sample sizes. We're talking about three weeks and a handful of throws can skew things either way. It's like a guy hitting 400, you know, two weeks into the season, you know, that yeah. things can be skewed a little bit. Um, And then especially in small sample size, you talk about stats not always matching up with how well a guy plays. So uh, if a guy throws a short pass that becomes a 70-yard touchdown, for us that's more of an expected throw. We're grading the quality of every single throw, how difficult it is, ball location, uh, turnover-worthy plays, those passes that should be uh, intercepted or really bad fumbles, whether or not they become turnovers or not. So we just try to add some context to how well a player is playing on every single play, and especially in small sample sizes, the stats and the grades don't always match up.
2: So here's a follow-up to that, Steve. Um, how, how, you know, I know Bruce Gradkowski's helping you guys out as well with the quarterback grades. It, it sounds pretty complicated. In other words, for an offensive lineman, you guys, correct me if I'm wrong, typically look at you know whether or not the guy made the block. Do you look at degree of difficulty? for offensive line blocks like you do for quarterback?
3: Yeah, so it's kind of baked in there a little bit. Like when Travis Frederick is making a reach block on a one technique that is just ridiculously difficult, and he actually you know, wins the gap and absolutely dominates him, that'll be a higher grade for us. And if he loses it, it might be more of a wash, a zero, an expected grade. So it does factor in a little bit. We don't necessarily adjust for competition. That's more of a context thing that comes in Later, So if, you know, a, a defensive lineman crushes an offensive tackle, um, it, it's not, it's not going to affect his grade necessarily, but you're going to go back and say, hey, that was against a bad tackle. You know, that's the context as far as um, how, how you apply it. So um, even with a, the with, with a quarterback, you know, it's kind of similar. You know, you have an easy throw that becomes a big gain that might not be as impressive as, say, Carson Wentz throwing multiple really good passes down the field that have been dropped. And, you know, I think the emotional reaction to that from a fan is like, oh, man, we missed it. Good throw. But yeah, that's an 0 for 1 in the box score. And then for us, it's like, man, that's one of the best throws, you know, uh, of the game for Carson Wentz. We're giving him a high grade, even though it's 0 for 1. So, um, you know, it's just having that, you know, trying to watch the game through the same eyes uh, over and over every single play during the NFL season.
0: So the top five in the PFF grades at the quarterback position, talking with Steve Palazzolo from PFF, are Tom Brady, Dak Prescott, two, Carson Wentz, three, Russell Wilson, four, Deshaun Watson, five. And Steve, I don't have to tell you, when people watch Patrick Mahomes, they say, we have never seen anything like this guy. And then the stats back it up, 1,200 yards, 10 touchdowns, no picks, a QBR of 135. How is he the sixth-ranked quarterback quarterback Based on uh, how you grade them,
3: yeah. So again, we're only three weeks into it, so this isn't saying, "Hey, Patrick Mahomes is the sixth best quarterback in the NFL." We think he's a top one or right. two quarterback in the NFL, right there with Tom Brady. So to this point, here's what here's what we've ha- seen from Mahomes: two really bad fumbles in the pocket. Um, I don't honestly, because we just graded, I don't even remember if the Chiefs recovered them or not. Um, but two really bad fumbles in the pocket, a negated interception last week against the Ravens that was a forced pass too far inside uh, to the free safety. It was negated by penalty, but we still grade it because the penalty wasn't really uh, a factor in that particular play. And honestly, he has actually missed way more throws this year than he has last year, and I think that's the scariest thing. Um, so sometimes the statistical output uh, is also dependent on playmakers and Play calling. So Andy Reid is actually our top ranked play caller so far this year. Essentially, you know, the output that that passing offense has produced is just well above what the expectation is. So when you roll it all together, the stats are spectacular. Mahomes is still special. He's made our highest percentage of big time throws. He's awesome. He's just missed a lot more uh, than he had in the past. And it shows up in the play by play grading. And it's actually scary for opposing defenses.
2: That was going to be my question, Steve, and you you kind of touched on it, but whether it's Patrick Mahomes or Jared Goff or Baker Mayfield, a couple of quarterbacks I'm going to ask you about a little bit later, how do you separate scheme versus performance? How do you separate how much is Patrick Mahomes and how much is Andy Reid? Like you said, is him being your top-ranked play caller?
3: Yeah, so we've got you know our R and D guys are doing a fantastic job of trying to separate the play caller and you know so one way of doing it is uh, zero graded throws in our world. Those are expected throws. Do uh, you know do does the passing offense get a ton of production on easy or expected throws? And if you look at say the Chiefs, you know Mahomes and his passes behind the line of scrimmage are as efficient as any in the any quarterback in the NFL. And that's not really a QB thing. That's a scheme thing or that's a a running back type of thing. Um, If you have a guy on the bottom end of that, then he's not getting that same level of help either from the scheme or from his supporting cast. So, um, you know, that's one factor. And I think, you know, we grade every player, again, through the same eyes, and then you go back and you look at the context. How many open throws did he have? How many tight window throws is he forced to throw into? How many easy throws uh, are skewing the stats? So you kind of like roll that all up and say, okay, here's the expected performance based off this grade, and here's where it is. Um, it's either much better than expected or lower than expected, and that's how you add proper context to a player's uh, actual performance and then the statistical output.
0: Baker Mayfield, 13 in your grades. What are you seeing in him? Certainly looks like some regression from last season. Where do you see that?
3: Yeah, so it's tough. To, so I don't think he's been as bad as the stats have shown. I think he huh. passed a rating at the you know 70s or whatever it might be, but um, yep. certainly not what we expected Uh, from him he's definitely holding the ball a lot longer he was vacating clean pockets all the time Ross we are really really keen to just make sure we don't blame offensive linemen when it's not their fault when the quarterback (laughs) is bringing pressure upon himself we love to say look that's not the O-line we love to tell people that and that's a lot of what's happening in Cleveland Baker Mayfield running into pressure vacating clean pockets the tough Dynamic here too, uh, though, is like his best throw against the Rams, a seam route up and away from coverage, was dropped. So, when it's one of those things in offense is not performing well when you have inconsistent quarterback play, he's not necessarily taking the easy throws that are there. But then, when he does make a great throw, it's getting dropped, or it's or he's getting an interception that's tipped up that normally falls incomplete but it's picked off. So, I think that's where Baker is right now his good stuff. Just is it, you know, showing up on the stat sheet, his, you know, okay stuff is sometimes showing up as interceptions and his bad stuff is just, you know, it's, it's less consistent than he was a year ago.
2: Yeah. So it's funny. First of all, Steve, thank you for not just blaming the (laughs) offensive line for everything. And secondly, you know, we were talking earlier that Baker Mayfield fired back at Rex Ryan, who said that Baker right now is a one read quarterback. It
3: sounds like there's, there's some truth to that in your mind. Yeah, I think there is a little bit. I mean, he's definitely been uh, quicker to take off. I mean, it, it's it's a pretty generic statement. I mean, you see, like he he ran into a sack on third and ten, where he had three verticals, and you know, it's he's trying to make a play down the field, and uh, you know, it's just it's just a longer developing play. That's a factor as well. We're seeing that with a guy like Marcus Mariota, where you know there are just certain plays you have to hold the ball a little bit longer, but then it's about um, you know what do you do when you're late in the down? Are you scrambling into pressure? Are you actually just hitting your check down? That's something Mariota could do better. Aaron Rodgers can do better. So um, there's a little bit of truth to that. He definitely, uh, Mayfield, that is, doesn't look as comfortable as he did last year. I do have to wonder how much the play calling was has been a factor. Because when we looked at our grades last year, Baker Mayfield's first half and second half grades were about identical. But the statistical output was completely different. And that, again, gets chalked up to the play calling. When everybody's like, hey, what happened to Baker? Or, look at this improvement with Freddie Kitchens. We said, look, throw for throw, he was just as good. The difference was he had more open throws and some schemed up, uh, more favorable opportunities. He's not getting that this year.
2: What about Jared Goff, Steve? What are
3: you seeing from Jared Goff and the Rams offense? Yeah, Goff has just been off. Some some questionable decisions. Um, you know, he, he's one of those guys. I think he's a mid-tier type of quarterback, and that's not a knock. I mean, I think half the league is is in mid-tier quarterback situation. And those are the guys where if you give them that good supporting cast and ecosystem, they could put up great statistical years like Goff has the last two years. I think now he's facing a lot more pressure. That offensive line has been far worse than it's been the last two years. And then when he does have a clean pocket, he's just missing more throws uh, than you would expect. More, more throws than he had uh, missed in previous years, forcing too many passes. And just a tick off with his reads right now. I think it's a big test for that Rams offense that has really taken the league by storm the last two years. You saw teams adjust to it late last year, Detroit, Chicago, Philadelphia, New England in the Super Bowl. So I think it's a big test for Sean McVay and for Jared Goff. How do they combat the fact that you know opposing defenses are adjusting just a little bit to an offense um, that had just really torn up the league for two straight years?
0: Was shocked to see Jared Goff below Joe Flacco in my world of suck Broncos. Talk with Steve Palazzolo from PFF. Follow him on Twitter, PFF underscore Steve. Um, only two quarterbacks were graded worse than Mitchell Trubisky, Chicago Bears, second year quarterback. Where has he gotten worse? Third year, rather. Uh, where has he regressed?
3: So I don't really think Trubisky has regressed a whole lot. You know, again, if you okay. paid attention to Ooh. our numbers last year, He was like 30th or something like that in our grades, even though the stats were pretty good. So honestly, we've been fighting Bears fans all offseason saying, look, Trubisky needs to be much better. Um, And he was the perfect example. Uh, Matt Nagy was a top five play caller for us last year. So Trubisky's missing a high percentage of throws. He had interception luck last year, but he had a play caller who was getting the ball in space to guys like Tariq Cohen. And when Trubisky threw jump balls down the field, Allen Robinson was making plays. They haven't had that so far this year. We saw it on Monday night. Trubisky had three touchdowns. Did you see those first two touchdowns? I mean, my little sister could have made those throws. So not, <laughs> nothing to take away, not to take anything away from Mitchell. I would love to see him develop, but that's why you can't just look at touchdown totals. They had a couple free easy scores that completely skew the stats. He had a great touchdown, his third one, rolling out, um, but those have been few and far between. So our analysis on that is Trubisky's essentially been the same guy, missing far too many throws, too many risky plays uh, in his game right now, but he it hasn't been the 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 bridge hasn't been you know tightened up by the play calling this year like it was last year.
2: How about tonight's game, Steve? Let's dive into it. It's a big one: Packers and the Eagles. You talked a little bit about Carson Wentz, some of the throws he's made, but I want you to break down both offenses, both quarterbacks, and what you've seen so far.
3: Yeah, so Carson Wentz, I think, outside of that first half of the Atlanta game, has been really, really good. That first half was rough. He was firing the ball into coverage a little bit too much. But when you look at the injuries that they've had, um, especially at the receiver position, the stat that stands out to me about Carson Wentz, we, we have our stat called big-time throws, our highest-graded throws, you know, downfield, accurate, good timing. Carson Wentz has four big-time throws that have fallen incomplete. You know, So that's you know putting the ball on Dallas Goddard's hands on a corner route, throwing the ball to Nelson Aguilar up the seam, or he loses it in the lights and drops it. He's made a lot of good throws that, um, you know, simply have fallen incomplete. So Wentz has played uh, extremely well, but the supporting cast has let him down just a little bit. Whereas Aaron Rodgers, um, it's still an interesting dynamic. He keeps coming out, uh, you know, doing really well in the first half. Um, But the second half, it's either a little bit more conservative offense. He's not as aggressive. And he has really fallen into this game manager type of profile for us. He's not putting the ball in harm's way outside of a couple throws so far this season, but he's not making those special throws down the field nearly as much. And, you know, just like he had, just like he did in Mike McCarthy's offense, he needs to take the easy stuff a lot, you know, much like Baker Mayfield, take the open throw within the flow of the offense. So I think there's still a lot of room for it to improve for Aaron Rodgers. And I think Carson Wentz overall uh, doing a ton of stuff as far as making big plays down the field and, you know, needs, Needs his playmakers to really step up. Should be a, a fascinating game because the NFC is deep, it's intense, and the Eagles can't really afford to fall down to a one and three record.
0: It's gonna be good stuff. All right, put your baseball cap on for a sec. Uh, former six ten flamethrower, the the pitching tower of Pisa. I've seen you called in uh, <laughs> a great oh, no. article on your pitching <laughs> talents. All right, so the Major League Baseball strikeout record has been broken twelve straight years. And the other record that Kinston needs to break is the home run record. Uh, Yankees and Twins are currently tied. They have shattered the home run record. What do you make of the disparity, how the strikeouts continue to worsen, and should baseball do something to fix it?
3: Man, I don't know if baseball can do anything to fix that without extreme measures. I know my old league, the Atlantic League, I played there at the end of my career. They were experimenting with a 62-foot mound, which I think is yep. just a terrible idea. Um, so this is this is analytics. I mean this was because the Oakland A's years ago said look it's about on-base percentage, it's about home runs and who cares about strikeouts? They just it's the same thing as a ground out, let's hit some bombs. Um, and then the league started adjusting and they started getting those types of players and then from a pitcher standpoint it was you know everybody starts throwing harder. You know, I had a league average fastball when I played at 90 91 and now you know I would be well below average because everybody's throwing 95 plus. So I think it's an evolution of how you know, talented pitchers are and that hitters are just saying, look, we want we want the the, we want home runs. We want four bases. We don't want singles. Um, so I don't know that baseball can do a whole whole lot about it. But I do think it hurts, you know, a little bit of the excitement of the game because, you know, everybody loves a good double or a triple every now and again. And it's a lot of uh, all or nothing when it comes to hitter versus pitcher interactions right now.
0: And that's why there's an article in the New York times today about a group of knitters that yes, knits at major league baseball games. That is not my friend, a good sign. Last question. And Mm. next time you come on, do you ever do grades of things like beer or cereal or soda? And could we do that uh, down the road?
3: Uh, We could definitely do that down the road. We have one of our guys who's a big beer grader, not me, but he's got an app where he's graded like thousands of beers or something like that. He wasn't good at grading football, so he's in our sales department now, but he can grade (laughs) beers. So we could pull him on if we need to.
0: I love it. We're we're going to get some serials. I I like that. Let's see. I mean, because you are a cereal expert. I'm a cereal expert. Tucker, are you? No, I haven't had cereal in a long oh. time. I, I do, I do intermittent
2: fasting, so I don't eat till like eleven o'clock in the morning.
0: Well, All right, Steve, and I'll do that. <laughs> I got like twelve boxes of cereal in my pantry down there. Steve Palazzolo from PFF. Great to have you on. Appreciate it.
3: Yeah, thanks, guys. Appreciate it.
0: Guys, do check out those grades on Pro Football Focus if you haven't seen them. They are really interesting, and you dive into how they grade them, Ross. It's a really interesting look, and it blows you away when you see Mahomes somewhere like like six, and, and Brady's still on top at 42 years old.
2: But they have logic. If you listen to them, they explain it. And there's a lot of people that are doing analysis out there. They have multiple people looking at every play. Does that mean it's perfect? No. I think it's the best thing out there, though, and I'm very thankful for him.
0: Yeah, and I tell you what, Bears fans must not like Steve and must not like PFF because they say Mitch Trubisky has not regressed. This is just who he is. Ouch. When we come back after a quick break, we're going to talk to Brad Evans from Yahoo Sports. It's a big free money Thursday here on the program. What fantasy plays are out there tonight on this outstanding Packers-Eagles matchup? Quick break, then back with Brad. All right, Melvin Gordon, back with the Chargers, ending that very successful holdout in which he gave up a lot of money and got nothing in return. What does that mean for your fantasy lineups, and who do we like tonight in the Packers-Eagles game? From a fantasy perspective, let's ask Brad Evans. Yahoo noise on Twitter. Happy Tequila Thursday, my friend. Let's start with the Thursday night game. What will you be drinking, and who will you be playing?
1: Uh, well, it's Tequila Thursday, uh, so I will be partaking in the love juice. Uh, I've got a bottle of Hurradura Ultra Añejo currently chilling in my freezer uh, that will be cracked open and will be sipped on uh, before I have to uh, exit for a concert tonight. So I'm going to be watching the first half uh, and then taping the second half, but uh, I've got... The Eagles, and the lines really interesting in how it's fluctuated. It opened as Green Bay minus two and a half. It got steamed up to five. It's kind of fallen back at most books to Green Bay minus four. Uh, ultimately, in this one, uh, the Eagles cover this game, and I'm going to take the under as well. Uh, I think it's going to be a 23-20 to 20 Green Bay Packers win, and the one breakout performance to watch here tonight could be Miles Sanders who's seen the most snaps of any running back in this revolving door, Doug Peterson backfield. Uh, He had a huge game in terms of total yardage last week, and it's only inevitable that he scores his first regular season touchdown. And I think it happens tonight under the primetime lights. So Brad,
2: before I get to a football question, uh, we had Nick Costos on earlier from you better you bet. And he's more on the betting side, but he had, A chain, And I've noticed you have a chain as well. I want to hear about it. How long have you had it? What is it? Let me see it.
1: It's just a simple gold chain my wife gave to me a number of years ago. I I don't even know it exists most of the time because it's so lightweight. Uh, But I guess I'm with the cool kids. Uh, Maybe I should get some ice and hang it from the chain and be much cooler than that. Or get a big thick chain. Those are back in style like the old Run DMC. Style chains, you know, the Mr. T garb back in the day, those things are in vogue all of a sudden again, but mine is just a minute, thin, dainty little chain.
2: All right. Well, unfortunately, since your wife gave it to you, I can't rip you mercilessly and make fun of it like I wanted to. Instead, I'll just say... And I'll just say it's really nice. I I really like it, Brad. It really looks good on you. (laughs) I will ask you this, though. I will ask you this. Hello, Mrs. Evans. Thank you for watching and listening to Home and Home on the Radio.com app. I will ask you this, though, Brad. Saquon is out. So I guess there's two questions there. One, if you had Saquon, who else can you pick up at this point? And two... What does that mean for Wayne
1: Gallman? Well, first off, uh, for starters, uh, you know, the waivers have already run. So chances are these guys probably aren't going to be available in your Yahoo League. But entering the week, Justin Jackson was only owned in 29% of Yahoo formats. And I know with Melvin Gordon back in the fold, and he's not going to see the field this week, but possibly next week, uh, this is a bit of a showcase game for Justin Jackson, and it's Miami. It's the dregs of the keg defensively in terms of botting up the run as the Dolphins have allowed 5.2 yards per carry and the most fantasy points to the running back position. Uh, he could do his best uh, Tony Pollard impersonation uh, in this one. So I, I would not be at all surprised to see Justin Jasko for at least 70 yards and a touchdown. Rex Burkhead was another guy that was largely underowned, only 24% of Yahoo leagues entering the week who's been plucked in thousands of leagues who could see significant action this week on the road in Orchard Park against the Buffalo Bills, who've given up north of four yards per carry on the year. So in terms of Wayne Gallman, you know, people were smashing piggy banks, absurdly so, for his services. I mean, he was all right a couple of years ago. In 2017, he forced a missed tackle on 19.8% of his attempts. That's a laudable number. But in his career, he's only uh, accumulated a 2.57 yak per attempt, uh, which is largely pedestrian. I think he's an adept receiver. I don't think he's particularly special, but it is a volume game in fantasy. So we'll see what happens. Uh, I would be willing to wager, though, that Daniel Jones has more rush yards than Wing Gallman during Saquon's absence.
0: He did lead the team in rushing last week. Melvin Gordon back, we mentioned that. Didn't accomplish a whole lot except gave up uh, what looks like over a million in fines, over on, just under a million dollars in salary. How long do you expect uh, his fantasy services to be getting ready for the season? Do you trade away Eckler at this point?
1: Well, Briggs, I can say this about Melvin Gordon. His Madden game off the charts based on his social media streams. <laughs> I mean, that's all he's been doing. So I guess it was worth a million dollars for him to, you know, ratchet up his game in the digital space. But I think it's going to take a couple of weeks for him to get back. You know, we don't know what kind of shape he is in terms of conditioning right now. Uh, That'll be based on practice reports once he returns to team facilities, which is uh, anticipated to happen today. So, you know, I would say by week seven, he'll probably get back to his full complemented touches. I mean, the Chargers should just run him in the ground. I mean, this is the last year of his deal. He's looking for a larger deal. So just you know, saddle up the horse and and ride that pony, and you know, don't be at all surprised if he's getting his 18 to 20 touches as usual per game. Again, starting in a couple of weeks. Now, in terms of Austin Eckler, you know, Justin Jackson after this week is expendable. Uh, He'll take a backseat immediately because he plays that power back role. But Eckler does have standalone value. Now, it's funny. On there's a lot of chirping. Oh, Austin Eckler is gonna be the starter the rest of the season. Even with Melvin Gordon there, he's proven that he is the main man. look, Melvin Gordon proved that he was the main man for years, not over a course of like three games. And Eckler was a uh, dreadful last season, uh, when he was the primary running back. So this is Gordon's team. Make no mistake about it. I think Eckler will probably, you know, have his workload trimmed to something like 12 13 touches per game many of those opportunities coming through the air because he is such an elite receiver out of the backfield. So, uh, again, he's more of a back-end RB2-slash-flex in 12-team leagues. But, Gordon, he'll be a top-10 running back once he he gains full steam ahead here again in a couple of weeks.
2: So, Brad, I am in a highly competitive 16-team Fantasy Feast podcast league. My two quarterbacks, Big Ben and Sam Darnold, My two tight ends, Jordan Reed and Dallas Goddard. In other words, (laughs) I hate fantasy football. Um, And I had a running back. My running backs were Zeke Elliott and Leonard Fournette. So you can't do anything about the injuries to my tight ends and quarterbacks. But can you please tell me what the deal is with Leonard Fournette? I've never seen a guy get this much usage and be this terrible.
1: Yeah, I mean, he's a master of inefficiency, man. I tell you what. uh, I will say this, though. You mentioned it right there. Hit the nail on the head. Usage. I mean, he's seeing a 96 percent opportunity share, which is number one among all NFL running backs. So it's only a matter of time that he'll trip and fall in the end zone. I mean, it's got to happen eventually, maybe this week against the Denver Broncos. Uh, But I do like the overall volume of Leonard Fournette, And some of the advanced analytics aren't too shabby. I mean, he's got a 3.28 yards after contact per attempt. Uh, The missed tackle percentage is at 14. That's not the greatest. Uh, And I am concerned that he's seen a lot of stacked fronts. In fact, he's seen eight or more men in the box 27.9% of the time. But the wonder emporium that is Gardner Minshew is a thing. And with his accuracy, you hope that defense is eventually going to have to respect him and DJ Chark along with Chris Connolly and maybe D.D. Westbrook if he applies some stickum to the hands. Uh, but Leonard Fournette, there are better days ahead, and the schedule really starts to open up uh, about mid-season for him. He's got a string of games that are highly exploitable opponents. So, Ross, stay the course, my man. Hopefully you picked up Kyle Allen or Daniel Jones. Uh, other than that, just drink tequila and, and try to you know, drown your sorrows in, in that uh, kind of misery.
2: I have Kyle <laughs> Allen. I'm still 0-3. I still am not happy. I have Kyle Allen. I'm still going to lose whatever.
0: All right, uh, Brad, speaking of Daniel Jones, I I love how fantasy gets so out of control hyped based on a performance, but one of my best friends in the world calling him out now, Rob, I know he's listening, texts me this morning and says, should I start Daniel Jones or Dak? Your thoughts?
1: Oh, wow. And this is what we call a lucky seven situation (laughs) right here. Uh, I have actually, I think I'm the most bullish fantasy quote-unquote expert. I don't know everything. I'm an income poop by trade. Uh, But I I believe I have Jones the highest of anybody else in the industry this week. I got him at QB6, and I'm debating putting him inside my top. Yeah, I mean, I believe, and I believe in the matchup. I mean, it's delightful, right? It's Washington, for crying out loud. Josh Norman is a shell of what he used to be, a guy that's given up a 121.5 pass rating to his assignments. Jimmy Moreland, his tag team partner in that secondary, a 130-plus pass rating. Washington ranks top five most fantasy points allowed to the quarterback position. And as I mentioned before, you know, saying that he could lead this team in rushing with Saquon sidelined, I mean, that's scoring duality raises the floor i was really impressed with him and granted it was tampa but tampa's overachieved defensively this year uh now he's at home he's got that experience of one game now under his belt uh him and sterling Shepard had instant chemistry evan ingram was highly involved you know without saquon they're probably up to throw a ton uh but still i'm going with dak here i believe i have dak as my qb3 this week behind Mahomes and lamar jackson so I think Dak is going to tee off against another secondary in Marshawn Lattimore. Talk about Josh Norman being a shell of his former self. That uh, phrase also applies to Lattimore, who has fallen off the continental shelf into a deep, dark abyss defensively. He's given up a 140.6 pass rate in his uh, assignment so far this season, picking up, unfortunately, where he left off last year.
0: All right, Brad, I see that the NFL has gotten in the daily fantasy game uh, with DraftKings. Do you like that overall just as moving in the direction of gambling?
1: Well, yeah, but can the NFL just accept the fact that DFS is indeed in gambling and, and just embrace it fully? And this is what's so ridiculous about this. Caspas dead, Roger Goodell, okay? It, it's not illegal and now, Indiana's about to legalize or about to launch uh, next week, October 3rd, I read. So another state that's getting into the mix, I think it's up to nine or ten, that it will have legal sports books open within their borders. I mean, just, just take it on fully and be done with this nonsense. The gray area washed away when PASPA went to the grave. So DFS has always been a conduit to traditional forms of gambling. DraftKings, for crying out loud, has their own sports book in Jersey and some other places that they're looking into. Just take it all in. Take it all on. You're going to have a team in Vegas eminently, for crying out loud. Enough with this silliness.
0: I agree with that. Brad Evans from Yahoo Sports. Follow him at Yahoo Noise. Happy Tequila Thursday, my friend. Enjoy. The Morrissey concert, can you sing a few bars of the chain gang for us or no, are you
1: not sing a few bars of chain gang right <laughs> now? Now, if I drink about a dozen of these, and never know what could happen. But yes, I'm going to go lift my spirits with Morrissey tonight. And uh, watch the second half of the game on tape. So. Enjoy, oh, I enjoy.
2: get it. That's why your wife got you the chain, cause you're part of the chain gang.
1: Well played.
0: You like that? He's back on the chain <laughs> gang. <game. laughs> He's got you there, brother. Best of luck. Enjoy the concert, man. We'll be watching the game.
1: Right. See you, buddy. Love you guys. Cheers. I'll get you drinks in person next time I see you.
0: Beautiful.